sanctified us and cleansed us. And so we are thankful and we are grateful this morning for the life that we now live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you, Jesus. When you ascended on high, you did not leave us without help and without hope, but you sent the Holy Spirit of God to dwell on the inside of us, to lead us, to guide us into all truth, to show us things to come, to be present in our life as the anointing of the Most High God, to endure us with power from on high, that we wouldn't be subject simply to the course of this world, but we would have authority and power to live out your will on earth, that through us, your church, your will might be done right here on earth as it is in heaven, and we give you glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Man, it's great to be with you. Great to be alive. We're so thankful to God for everything that he has done. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for all of you watching online this morning. God is good and his mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look at somebody next to you say, the life of God dwells in me and the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, You have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Once again, great to be with you. I hope you all had a uh, really great Thanksgiving Um, and got to spend some time with family and friends. I know sometimes when we all get together as family, uh, we do it year after year uh, for Thanksgiving, and then when the family leaves, we're more thankful than before it began. Amen. But uh, trust that you just had an awesome time uh, with family and friends, and and most of all, just Thanksgiving. Again, we have this in our nation uh, because our forefathers were so thankful to God that they came to this land, and we are thankful that we live in such an awesome place. And with all of its faults and with all the things that are going on and taking place, um, we still live in a great country, and uh, we are still a blessed people, amen? And as Alan said, you know, we can get our tongue off of that so easily. But as believers, as those who have faith in God, we understand that our words are incredibly important. And, you know, if you just watch a little bit anymore, we don't want to be named amongst those who just kind of throw things off. You know, it, it amazes me, but it's so subtle. And we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, or we shouldn't be. So sometimes you just watch, you know, somebody says, well, that what that person did or what they said, do you believe it was wrong? And they'll say, well, somebody else said it. Well, if we just start throwing off what somebody else did or what somebody else said so we can say whatever we want because they said what they said. We don't realize what we're setting for our life. We shouldn't end up. We'll give an account for what we said. They'll give an account for what they said. Everyone will stand before Jesus individually and give an account. So we want to watch the words of our mouth, but it's subtle. Well, they said it. Yeah, but what did God say? It's easy to say, well, they said that, so I can say that. Yeah, but what did God say? We start to understand what God said, and we just go ahead and agree with what God said. Then we get ourselves in a good place. Somebody say a good place. How many of you want to live in a good place? How many of you not want to live in a great place? Praise the Lord. And so we're not just talking about a geographical location of a great place, but live in a great place because our hearts are, are right. Our hearts are filled with really the understanding of God's word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I just have a couple of things. Tonight's going to be awesome. Uh, We'll get together, fellowship, light up the property. Uh, It's hard to believe we're already turning into the corner into December. Uh, But this year in December, and we're not going to wait till January uh, on Sunday night. I've been telling the people on Sunday night, you know, God was dealing with me this summer not to wait until January. I know some of you have been praying, but, you know, uh, we get in a tradition where we'll just start the year with prayer. Well, we're going to start the year with prayer in December. December. And so on Sunday night, we're going to teach a little bit on prayer, but we're going to pray on Sunday night. 
and uh, uh, we'll be praying every morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock still, but we're going to begin to pray in the new year or pray into the new year. I believe there's stuff in 2023 uh, that God really has planned, but also the enemy has a strategy. And so if we wait, we don't want to start behind, uh, you know, by 21 days or whatever, we're just praying. We want to get ahead and begin to pray out what God has for us. And again, if you haven't been with us on Sunday night, to begin to pray really from uh, Proverbs chapter 3, uh, Psalms, I believe it's 37, to commit all of your ways to him. Right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding in all of your ways. Somebody say, all of my ways. In all of your ways, not just some of your ways, not just your business ways, not just your church ways, in all of your ways, in your family ways, in raising your children, in your business ways, in your attitudes, in your mindsets, in your actions, in all of our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes, right? But depart from evil. It'll be life, health, and strength to you. Amen? And so we're just looking and saying, God, we're going to lay it all on the table moving into 2023. Instead of just praying and saying, here's my vision. Why don't you bless it? Here it is, God. Give me direction. Direct my paths. Lead me into 2023. Whatever, you, whatever I think about my gifts and my callings, I'm going to give it to you. He may give you back what you already had planned, but just keep giving it to him until it becomes so solid that you, won't, you and I, uh, whatever, we won't depart from it. That we'll continue to walk and press in, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God placed that in your heart. You didn't come up with it hoping God would bless it, but he put it in your heart. So no matter what obstacle comes, you're willing and understanding to say, I know that you put this here. I'm staying with it because if you promised it, you'll bring it to pass. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to be doing that uh, in December. We're going to launch into that. I don't know what we'll do in January. We'll see what God says. Amen. But sometimes, you know, there's just tradition that we get into and all of a sudden, you know, we just think we should do that. We should pray. But if we lose the power of praying or leading into the the new year with prayer, then it's time to switch it up a little bit so that we actually put faith in what we're doing uh, and and change that up. So that's what we're going to do in December. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're in a series of messages called uh, we've entitled authority, the word, the name and the blood, the word, the name, and the blood. And uh, so the word is so incredibly important. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. So I delegate, I send you out, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe and to do all that I've commanded you. So he said, I have all authority. And because of that, you're going to go out and make disciples and teach them my word and how to obey my word. Because when they do, that same authority uh, begins to come over their life. Amen. And so uh, then in Luke chapter 10, he sent his disciples out. He commanded them. They obeyed him. Uh, They preached the word. They cast out devils. They healed the sick. They came back extremely excited that demons were subject to to them in his name. And he said, all authority, he said, I I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. So in other words, the strategy of the enemy is to hurt you, to hurt something. He, he, He hasn't come except to kill to steal and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So there's two forces at work. There's the enemy making a strategy to kill, steal, and destroy in whatever way that he can. But Jesus came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. And so in that authority, we know that he gave us the word of God. And Proverbs chapter 4 tells us that we should embrace the Word of God. I'm going to paraphrase, but we should embrace the Word of God. We should uh, uh, bring it down into our hearts, not just allow it to be in our intellect, but get it down on the inside of us, down into our hearts, receive it past our thinking into our hearts. It'll penetrate there and be life and health 
and strength even to your bones. That word of truth divides. It penetrates past your emotions, past your intellect, right into your spirit. And when it penetrates, we allow it to come into our spirit. It begins to be a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You can get away telling people your intentions with other people, but you can't with God. The word of God will show up and say, your intention here, no matter what you tell people, is not right on path. It's not being truthful. Because the word is truth and it's life. And so it will, if we receive it, it will always show up the lie. That's why even many believers lay down the word because the truth starts showing up and they don't want to deal with areas of darkness in their life. But when we lay the word down because we don't want to deal with it, we give the enemy an advantage. We give the enemy an advantage. Because the only way that he can exercise authority over you is what he has, the weaponry he has, and he is the father of lies. And so a lie will always dominate your life unless you know the truth. The truth, not the facts as the circumstance presents it, but what's the truth about this situation? And so God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, and he'll tell us the truth. He's already told us the truth. He's told us and even shown us things to come. So it's very vital for us as a church, for you as an individual, for the church uh, universally to really focus once again on God's word to get it down in our hearts. Not just to think about it intellectually, but to get it down on the inside of us. If you don't have a plan to read the Bible every day, I encourage you, get a plan. If you don't have time, make time. Make time. Because it'll get on the inside of you, and it won't come out chapter and verse always. It might, but it will start to come out in daily conversation. It will start to come out in your daily confession, because it will be in abundance in your heart. And we can always tell what's in abundance in our heart by what comes out of our mouth, as Alan was saying. And so the word, to have authority in the word, something very subtle that the enemy has done in our culture, in our society today, is to tell everybody to believe their own truth. To believe their own truth. Well, listen, if your truth is a lie, then how great is that lie? You are self-deceived. So based on emotion, simply based on soulish living, not spiritual living, your truth may be off course. And so the enemy will govern your life because of your truth being apart from the truth. It's just been a subtle strategy that we bought into even the church. Well, this is just my truth. I've listened to people tell their truth, and I've been around and thought, that's not accurate. And then it's definitely not on the Word of God. And so His words are truth, and they are the truth that will show up the lie. And so if we don't know the truth, the truth cannot make you free. So He gave us the truth that we might know the truth... And then the truth, knowledge of the truth will set us free. Set us free from what? The lies of the enemy. The lies that the enemy's been telling you that you affirm, if not outwardly, as Alan said, in your self-talk. I'm just terrible. I'm never going to measure up. Wow. Your self-talk about somebody else. They're just, they're just doing that intentionally to get at me. And all of a sudden, you start saying all that stuff. The enemy starts to dominate your thinking and the course of your life. Rather than developing a habit of a good confession. The habit of a good confession. You have to develop it as a habit. It won't come naturally because the enemy's always going to be poking at you. Well, that's just not even true. You don't even feel that way. 
That's why I'm saying it, because I don't feel that way. But God said, this is true. And just because I don't feel that way doesn't make it not true. So, you know, my girls, when they were young, uh, if they would cough or have some uh, symptoms in their body, uh, whenever it was, I'd pray for them. And then I would say, now you say, thank you, Jesus, for healing my body. Then I'd take them to school. You know, if it's a cough or something, they used to get irritated and roll their eyes at me. Because all the way to school, they <coughs> I say, say, thank you, Jesus, for healing my body. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my body. <coughs> say it again. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my body. Dad, say it. So that's easy, you know, I'm, I'm the dad. I've been pretty blessed, you know, in, in recent months. Can't really tell you what has, has gone on, but uh, been attacked in my body in a, in a particular way. And so I've had to practice that. Yet at the same time, there's always voices out there. What's wrong with you? How's that going? Boy, I think you're sick. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for healing my body. Thank you for healing my body. And the source of this, I'm not sure, but I need wisdom. And I thank you, you give me wisdom and understanding concerning this situation. But all the while, there's all kinds of other voices that will go on. You have to determine in your own heart and your own mind to get into the word and develop a habit of a good confession, a good confession. See, it was taught for a long time what comes out of our mouth being incredibly important, just as Alan was sharing with us. And, and of course, the enemy will try to always get you in one ditch on one side or the other. So then people, you know, in their confession just started saying, well, we're not going to have like a pot luck because we're not just lucky. We're going to have a random blessing. Well, so then people just went, this is getting a little ridiculous. So the enemy tried to move it over to where people thought this is just ridiculous and get us off of the importance of our confession. But just listen to me as a pastor this morning. We're moving into a time. You can write it down if you want to. We're moving into a time that's more critical that we watch what we say out of our mouth and, and, and the direction that that takes our life than maybe any time in the past 40 years. Because the enemy is developing a strategy against the body of Christ. And so he's listening to what we're saying. If we're saying the country's going to hell in a handbasket, he's developing a strategy that he knows he can move with the words of our mouth. Now, come on, if you don't think it's important, just read Numbers and where the 10 spies went into the land. I've not even got to my message yet, so just hang on. There, when the 10 spies went into the land and they came back, they said, surely this is a land that flows with milk and honey, except, you can say, my life is good, except, when I look at this promise of God, it looks really difficult. They said, except... There's giants. We saw the sons of Anak in the land. We saw the giants in the land. There's walled cities. And though the land is what you said it was, the things that were unexpected to us, the giants, we began to see ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight. And so we were in their sight. We are not able to possess this land. And then you had two young gentlemen who said, we've been over there spying out the land. And yes, there's giants and there's walled cities, but they are our bread. God has given us this land. Let's go up at once and possess the land. Those two said we can. The other 10 said we can't. The whole group said we agree we can't. And God came down and said, based on the words of your own mouth, you will never set foot in that land. You will die in this wilderness. Based on the words of their own mouth that they could not do it. But the two who said we can, they might have been delayed, but they were not denied. 
When they were 80 years old, God renewed their vigor and they had the same vitality, the same health, the same energy as when they were 40 to go in and to possess the land because they said with their mouth, we are well able to possess this land. I believe that we're coming in a time. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. But our confession will set a course. That God and the enemy are both listening to the words of our mouth. And when we agree with God, God says, then you'll have it. And when we agree with the enemy, we'll have what the enemy said. It's not a time to doubt, but a time to dig in and believe the things that God has said about you. What God has done for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Begin to declare the word of God over your thought life, over your bodies, over the action that you have. Begin to correct course because it's with the words of your mouth. It's just like a bridle on a horse. It's just like a rudder on a ship. Our tongue directs the course of our life. And we certainly cannot speak the word of God if we don't know what it says. It can't sit on your nightstand and supernaturally get down in your heart by osmosis. But as you begin to read it and study it, as you begin to hear the word, then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes as we hear the word. We begin to understand the application. We begin to put together what Jesus did for us in our generation, in our time, in our life, in our family. What he did for us as we read that and we begin to understand, which means to put it together. And we begin to know the wisdom of God, how to apply it in any situation. The word is powerful. And it's alive, and it will accomplish what God sent it to do accomplish. Amen. 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 And so when we talk about our authority that we have, the Word of God is so powerful. Paul told Timothy, he said, there's coming a day when there will be great trouble in the world. It'll be hard to bear. And he explains why, and he goes through all that. In chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I charge you now, Timothy, preach the Word exhort, correct, rebuke, instruct. He didn't ever say make people feel good about it. (laughs) Although that's all in there. He said there's correction. He says because there is a time when people will heap up to themselves teachers because of their own desires, they have itching ears. We have more teaching going on and more availability to teaching than ever before. But he said, you preach the word because it's the word of God, the truth that will give you victory over every single lie. Not what you want to hear, but what God has said about you, what God is saying to you. So there's all kinds of stuff out there. He said that there'll, that there'll become a place where we heap up to ourselves teachers and we'll just hear what we want to hear and we won't even listen to sound doctrine. But it's the word of God that God said, I will perform what I promised. Not what you promised yourself I would do for you, but what I promised I would do for you. So we have to know what God promised us. Why? Because every promise of God has its yes and its amen in Christ. Every promise was not yes and no, but it was yes in him. Every promise. So we can't manufacture a promise and hold God to it, but if God promised it, he'll perform it. And to keep from getting weak in faith, the Bible tells us Abraham was tempted over a 25-year period of time when God said, look at the stars, I'm going to give you a son. It was 25 years before Isaac was born. So there had to be a place there where he could get discouraged. When is this ever going to happen? But it says instead of getting weak in faith, he encouraged himself or he strengthened himself in faith. How did he do that? By always glorifying God and declaring that God was able to perform that which he promised. See, the enemy will come and say, when's this going to happen? If this is a promise of God, why is it happening? Why is it happening? 
and he's just trying to whittle away at your faith. But we can encourage our own faith. We can build ourselves up on our own faith by saying, God, right here, you promised it. You're well able to perform it on my behalf. And so I'm standing on the promises of God, not what I feel, not what I see, but I believe if you promised it, you're well able to perform it. And I'm going to be steadfast and immovable, and I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord. Come on. And that's where we begin to exercise authority over the enemy. We begin to speak truth in the face of his lie. We begin to declare a promise in the face when it looks like it's not coming to pass. It's how every single person in the Bible overcame him. And so our confession is incredibly, incredibly important how we speak the word of God, as Alan said. So I'm glad he covered that part for me so we can begin to just move into uh, the second part. And so Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he said, verse 14, it says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, or in your heart and in your mouth. For what purpose? Well, we know Romans chapter 10, verse 8, Paul quotes that same scripture. And so he, he goes on and says, this is the word of faith which we preach. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So he said, I'm taking what God said even in the old. I'm carrying it over to the principle of stepping into salvation eternally. But in Deuteronomy, it says that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart or in your heart and in your mouth so that you can do it. So taking authority over the enemy is in part how we... One, receive the word. Two, what we say out of our mouth, how we direct that course of our life. But a big part of taking authority over the enemy is what you do. What you do. Now, again, for all the people who may drift over into works, we're not under the law. I'm not talking about the law. I'm talking about the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Paul says every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And we will give an account for what we've done in this body, whether good or bad. We'll give an account. So how did we live out the life that Jesus gave us? Right? We're not trying to earn it. I'm not talking about we're working to earn something. We've received a new life from Jesus Christ. We've received a life that we are no longer enslaved by sin. We're no longer dominated by the course of this world. We no longer have to just give way to whatever comes. We no longer have to believe the lies of the devil about us. We can believe the truth and be empowered to do good things. We're empowered to live out the Word of God. When you say, I, I don't know if I can do that, God says, I know you can't without me. But that's the wonder of the new life. With me, you can do all things. And Paul realized that in all of his struggle. Paul was probably persecuted more than any of us will ever be persecuted, stood against accomplishing God's will for his life, and yet he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Thanks be unto God who always gives me the victory. So many times as Christians, we just think, well, here I got this great battle. The enemy's attacking. Why is this happening? Well, God never said you won't have a battle. He just said, if you walk with me, I'll give you a victory. And so we've been a little bit lulled to sleep into thinking, well, if I become a Christian, I shouldn't have any battles. No. He said, you'll have the battles. There's an enemy out there. There's an enemy of your soul. There's an enemy of God out there. As a child of God, there's an enemy out there. But thanks be unto God, he gave you power and authority over the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt you or stop you. When we begin to know the Word of God and we put it in our heart, we realize that God has a plan for our life. God has a will for His church in this generation. 
And the will of God will not get done without his church, which means we're not trying to work to earn something from God, but we are his and he is ours. And he has a will for the earth and the people in the earth. And that will gets accomplished through us. So we're out and active to do his will. We're not just living for, you know, 60, 80, 90 years just to get by and go to heaven. We're here with a purpose connected to our life. And that purpose is to do his will. And yet the quandary for many of us is, well, what is his will? Well, it's right here. It's right here. Well, God, what's your will for my life? Well, I'd love you to forgive your neighbor after they flooded your lawn. Well, that wasn't the only thing they've ever done. I mean, forgive them for putting. And we go on and on and on, explaining ourselves and never actually forgiving them. Oh, I hate it when you do that. I really want to know God's bigger will for my life. Well, you'll never get there if you can't do his will in just forgiving someone. I mean, the will of God is right where the rubber meets the road. Capture those thoughts that have been running all over that you know are just running, and they're not, they have nothing to do with the Word of God. Capture those. Throw them down. Bring them into obedience to Christ. Because if I get those thoughts out, the clarity of His will becomes much more clear because I'm not having all those other thoughts combating constantly the will of God. I've thrown those down. Turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. So we would never say that we're self-deceived, but many times we come and we hear the word. We hear the word about many different subjects, yet we go out and we never intentionally even purpose in our heart to do that. To do what we've heard. I got quiet. There's something that we should be looking at, and certainly maybe not in the whole message, but asking God, even when we come, show me something, let me hear something that I can begin to go out and begin to apply within my life, whether it's getting a daily Bible reading time, whether it's forgiving a neighbor. There's something in today that probably everybody can say, I could do that when I walk out of here. It'll just be hard. I really don't want to do that. God, why did you show me that? Why didn't you give me that other part to do? Because that would be easy. Because he's not going to give you the easiest thing for you to do because that would be selfish. He's going to give you the thing you need to do, which is the thing you don't want to do. But the blessing will come in the doing of the word. He said, you deceive yourself. You look into the word like a mirror. You see what it says, but then you go away and forget what kind of person you are. In other words, you know what Alan was saying? If I, if I listen to Alan's uh, offering message and go, all right, praise the Lord. I'm going to get involved in this. I'm going to believe God, you know, that I'm going to be debt free. And then, you know, all of a sudden the interest rates go up and all that. And you're like, yeah, I'll never own a house. He said, you just got excited But there's no blessing in all of a sudden just not doing anything. But if you said, this is what I'm going to do to make sure my house is is paid for, I'm going to start applying some financial wisdom. He said, when you set yourself to do that, not hear it and go excited, and by Wednesday you forgot what you had purposed to do and what that even looks like, he said, but you diligently begin to operate in that. You begin to see the blessing in doing what God said to do. And there's wisdom in that. So we become active participants every time we come together because I'm listening to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to me. We're listening to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Because Jesus comes to church. Some of you look like... Just read the book of Revelation. He told every single church in the book of Revelation, I have been there and I've seen what you're doing. 
and he commended some things that they were doing, and he corrected some things that we're doing. But he says, if you don't hear what I'm saying to you accurately, your influence will be taken away from you. And so we're moving into a time where God wants the church as a whole and individual members as you go out to have great influence with the light that is in your life. And in order to have great influence, you're going to have to be practicing the life of the Word. And not draw back and not allow the world or the intimidation to cause you to put it under a bushel, but to shine as a bright light. Now listen, I know some of you are thinking about the bold personality and saying, I'm just not like that, and I don't even really want to be crazy like that. But I'm not talking about personalities that can just say anything off the cuff. I'm talking about what God has put in you to be a light wherever you are. The life that God has put in you, the word that he's put in you to articulate the word of God, not showing that you know chapter and verse more than anybody, but it's so down in my heart and full of my life, it comes out in positive conversation, not positive thinking, but conversation according to the will of God in normal language that lets people know there's a life that's on the inside of you, there's a knowledge that's on the inside of you, there's a word that's on the inside of you that's not the norm. It's faith-filled. And the enemy's just working even in your mind right now to say, well, I just don't really think I'm that kind of person because he wants to rob you from the influence God planned. It's amazing that Jesus can be at church, but to know that, the devil's at church too. Like just throwing things into your mind. You just need to be, you know, like clear the mechanism here. I just want to hear what God's saying to me right now. Because if I can hear what the Spirit of God is saying to me, God will amp up, He'll increase the influence that you have and that we have in the earth. So He said, listen, don't just be a hearer of the Word. Don't just be one who knows the Word in your head. I've heard all that before. But be an active participant in the Word. Turn over to James chapter 2, starting verse 17. James writing here says this, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He said, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect or complete? So there's a place where we hear and where we believe, but we believe so deeply that it impacts our life into obedience. And he says, once the obedient act takes place, your faith is completed. You've gone from just hearing and going, hmm, wouldn't that be nice, to going, it is very good. Because had he never offered Isaac, he never would have seen what God was doing on his behalf in the promise. He would have just said, I'm not offering this son. God, you gave it to me. It's now my son. Thank you, but I'm not offering him back up. But when he went all the way to the place of obedience, because he knew that God had promised him something greater, God had promised him generations, not just one son, but families of the earth. And so he said, I don't know how you're going to do it, but if you told me to do this, you gave me this son, you're going to fulfill your whole promise, which the whole promise wasn't just I would have a son, but through that son, the Messiah and generations would be blessed. So something beyond this one son is going to take place. And when he raised the knife, not when he was halfway up the mountain, not when he said, okay, God, I'll offer him. When he raised the knife, there was a ram in the thicket, and God said, I can trust you. You'll go all the way with me. I can trust you. And his faith was proven by the fact that he trusted God right to the end, and God came through. When we begin to say, you know what, I'm going all the way with God. 
putting first things first. Well, here's what God gave me. And now he's asking me to give it up. Well, listen, if he could get me this, he can get me to the next place because he's promised me something more than just something temporary, but he's got something eternal in mind. And so just a little assignment for this week. A little assignment. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and read it from this perspective. Every single one of those people that the Bible says, by faith, accomplished much. They all didn't just say, I believe God wants me to have this. They did something. By faith, Noah built an ark. Right? By faith, Abraham and Sarah had a son. By faith, they all did something. They didn't just sit around and believe. They just didn't even sit, just sit around and believe and confess. They confessed that God was able to perform that which he promised. They encouraged themselves, but they went out and acted upon what God had promised them. To be a doer of the word and not just to hear only. Praise the Lord. Before she starts playing the piano, we're going to move over. Because of all this, the word of God, how we have it in our hearts, we embrace it, we talked about that, how we begin to confess it and develop that habit, how we begin to actively apply it by wisdom. There's something that we need to know about everything that backs everything that we say and everything that we do, and it's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And not just the name J-E-S-U-S, because you can go out into town and find somebody named Jesus or Jesus. The unique thing about Jesus and his name is he was Jesus the Christ. And just, you know, for revelation as we go into Christmas for some of you, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. I know that seems simple, but many people just think, oh, that was his last name. No, his name was Jesus. As the angel came to Mary and said, you'll call his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save the people from their sin. He went on to say, and he'll be named Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, this Jesus, the name means to save the people, but he'll be God with us. He will be the Christ. And so when we begin to know the word of God and what Jesus did for us and the promises that are all fulfilled in him, and that's what starts coming out of our mouth, the promises of God, the declaration of the promise, when you back that with the name of Jesus, the Christ, Something happens. Amen. Something happens. Praise the Lord. And so it says that he has come to save us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. I'm going to read these two scriptures and we're going to close. Speaking of Jesus, it says he canceled out every legal violation that we had on our record. This is Passion Translation. We had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Come on, you can't go backwards. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can't go backwards to woe is me. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. That's what you need to know. That's why you need to get into the word and say, listen, all those past mistakes, when I made Jesus Lord of my life, they were all nailed on the cross with him. I'm not going back there. Amen. Everything moves forward from here. See, the enemy will convince you, well, that's good, but you know, it still is having this effect. You have to have faith that everything was nailed to the cross. Jesus, it goes, cancellation there. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. 
And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. And we are in him. So now listen, what Philippians says about that, what we just read about, his death, his burial, and resurrection. He says to us in this uh, verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, let this mindset, this attitude be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, So in other words, what we just read about the death of the cross and the resurrection and leading every principality and power in a triumphal parade as a prisoner, having spoiled their power and authority over us and to accuse us, he already diminished that. He canceled that. He did away with that because he was obedient to the death of the cross. He said, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name. Somebody say the name. name. Given him the name, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or master to the glory of God the Father. Now listen, every person might not know it, you might not know it, but every angel in hell, or every angel in heaven, every demon in hell knows what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. That they know that a faith-filled heart that commands the name of Jesus, they must stop in their operation or angels must get busy at at his name. They know that, but if you and I don't know that, we don't have the power of faith backing when we say the name of Jesus. But when we know the word of God, we know what he's done for us. We know the power of that name. We begin to declare things in the name of Jesus and they must bow to that name or they must get active at that name because God exalted his name. God did that. So you can walk around and just say in Jesus' name, but when you know the word of God and you've put it down in your heart and you are beginning to act upon the word, when you run into resistance, you say, I am active about doing God's will and you can't stop me. So on the basis of this word and what I'm doing according to this word in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you may think, will anything happen? See, you don't know, but they know. He already spoiled them. He already disarmed them. He already raised from the dead. He already showed mastery over death, hell, and the grave. They know he's the master. He's already won. He's already raised. He's already seated at the right hand of God the Father. They all know that. The enemy's just lying to you and I, so we don't know that. So we're like, okay, I hope so, think so, maybe so, in the name of Jesus. They're like, hmm. Acts chapter 19. These seven sons of a guy named Sceva were observing Paul, and Paul casted a devil in Jesus' name. And they said, this is a pretty good thing we could do. We, maybe we could do it. And they went in and they said, uh, We adjure you, we cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. So they used the name, but they didn't know anything about the name. They just saw Paul use it. And they said, Jesus we know. And Paul we know. But who are you? And so we're not hope so, think so, maybe so. We're getting the word in our heart, as Paul did, and as he instructed and Jesus instructed. And we're saying, listen. I'm a son of God. I need to know all that. And so when I know I have the very right and delegation to use that name, and I know they know the power of that name, we're going to get some things moving. We're going to get some things moving. The power of the name. Why don't you stand up with me? Acts chapter 4. The Passion Translation says it this way. It says, this Jesus is the stone that you, speaking, Peter and John are speaking to the elders of the synagogue. He said that you, 
the builders have rejected. And now he has become the cornerstone. There is no one else who has the power to save us. For there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation. The name of Jesus. This name is so powerful. There's no other one. But at that name, at that confession that Jesus the Christ is Lord of my life and the opening up of the heart, he enters into your heart to become master of our life. And we realize I've submitted to you as a master. You're the master of my life. And I build confidence in that faith, in that fact then all the understanding of your mastery and your lordship begins to permeate my heart. So I know that if you're the master of my life and you've told me to speak out what I need to speak out, your word, the declaration of acting upon that, then every other entity realizes that you are master not only of my life, but of heaven and earth and below the earth. Things get moving. So it's not with angels, it's not with demons. It's with us to realize, wow, what happened in salvation goes beyond just a moment of prayer, and then I go to heaven. This is bringing eternal life into effect, and my authority to live out that life in the realm that I live in, the neighborhood that I live in, the workplace that I live in, to live above the fray, because Jesus is my Lord. I have his word, and I have his name to back moving and doing his will every day of my life. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify you for your word that declares to us who we are, what you've done for us, who Jesus is, that we truly might understand. I pray that you grant unto each one here those watching a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light, revelation, understanding, and knowledge that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt. What is the expectation of our calling as we move forward from this year to the next, day to day, month to month, into even the next year if Jesus tarries? that we begin to see more clearly than we've ever seen before who we are in Christ, the importance of the word in our heart, in our mouth, in our actions, the very power of the name of Jesus, that your will would be done right here in our lives, right here in this church, right here in this valley, right here in this region, throughout the world as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you say this? We go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.